The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. Good evening and welcome to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast preview show for Round 5 versus Geelong, a match we played on Saturday night at Adelaide Oval. Um, joining me tonight is Macca, and look, it's been a big week in football, but I think the biggest news of all would have to be the inclusion of Cam O'Shea in the Port Adelaide side. Do you have any comment? I don't know who Cam O'Shea is. Surely, surely it's got to be Cam O'Sexy. Well, that's true. I mean, he goes by many names, you know, many faces, one God. Um, The Shiz. What a legend. He's back. Absolutely. The man is back. Uh, I can't wait to see him out there. I mean, it must be finals, and I guess it is. It must be, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we've skipped straight to July, where uh, where he's in form. This is going to be good. Honestly, that would be amazing if we have actually done that. Like, it's just like, yep, we've brought O'Shea in because we're ready to go from now on, play the rest of the year, make the finals. It could happen. You never know. It could. (laughs) Very true. All right. Well, look, the hot topic this week, uh, we'll just do a couple. I think really only one um, that isn't Port Adelaide, and that would be Sean Burgoyne playing his 300th game on Friday night against uh, the Crows. Um, It finally looks like being a Friday night match worthy of the name, and Sean Burgoyne just... I'm still not over him leaving Port Adelaide, but you've got to say, as a career, he's had one of the better ones in the AFL uh, of any of his peers, I'd say. It's like your first girlfriend sort of leaving you unexpectedly and you just never really get over it even though you're over it and it's like 20 years later you still never really get over it and that's how I feel about Sean Burgoyne you know it's it's gonna sting for the rest of my life I think Sean Burgoyne playing for the Hawks he was my favorite player I, I jumped on the bandwagon from before he was even drafted when I saw him playing for the Rezies at the Maggies and it just still stings that but look, by the end of the year, he's going to have played more games for Hawthorne than he would have for Port Adelaide. Yeah, it's it's hard. And I mean, like, we've had other players leave that have been a bit divisive. And I think the two that I'm thinking of would be Nick Stevens and Josh Carr. But, like, yeah. neither of them were Magpies guys. You know, they weren't at the club since day one. They didn't have a brother no. at the club. They didn't have that, that deep connection to yeah. Port Adelaide that um, Sean Burgoyne had. And I think that's probably why... It's, I reckon it's going to be the deepest cut as a club that we have at AFL level because I don't think, unless unless the academies really pick up, I don't think we'll have anyone that's had that quite that exposure to Port Adelaide and then they've then decided to leave. No, I agree 100%. He was ours, just like Treadray was, just like Michael yeah. Wilson was. You know, He was ours. We'd seen him develop so well at the Maggies. He came in and just played some of the most scintillating football, just mm. the most brilliant football that you know anyone's played for Port Adelaide, really, at AFL level. Just his ability to win clearances um, have such an impact all over the ground, whether it's you know kicking goals up forward or stopping goals in defence or or just um, you know tearing shit up in the midfield. You know, he, he was wonderful for Port Adelaide. And, yeah, as I said, it, it still hurts. Um, someone said uh, during the week in the media, I can't remember who it was, that he's an absolute Monty for Hall of Fame when he, when he retires. Do you think that's a fair call? Because I've had some arguments with uh, with a few friends about that in the last couple of days. Do you think that's a fair call? I think it'd have to be a fair call. Um, really, having any premierships under your belt makes you more likely to get in. And he's got, what, four? Um, four premierships, all Australian, I think yeah. one best and fairest as well. He probably hasn't lived up to the potential that he has. And when, you, when you're speaking of someone that's played 300 games, four premierships, and been mm-hmm. as, as brilliant as Sean Burgoyne has... It sounds almost stupid to say that, but he potentially could could have maybe should have had like an Ablett Judd level career, you know, six or seven All Australians, you know, all that sort of stuff, Brownlow Medal. Um, unfortunately, I don't think his body sort of um, has allowed him to do that in the last sort of six or seven years. Yeah, I think that's an aspect, absolutely. Um, but really, if he was going to be one of those players, he would have done that when he was with us because that's when all those players start performing well. You know, it's not later in, later in the career is when they reap the rewards, but they start getting recognised pretty early on. Yeah. Um, and, we, you know, he wasn't playing in midfield from week one. Uh, he was starting in defence and sort of used all over the place, so that probably counted a bit against him. But, look, there's a lot of players that don't quite live up to that maximum potential, but it would be impossible to deny that he's been a, a fantastic player for two clubs. Um, it certainly helps him that he's with the Glamour Club now in terms of getting into the Hall of Fame, if he does. Um, yeah. 
But yeah, there's no doubt. And look, honestly, um, I think every time I think of 2004 and our premiership in the AFL, it really comes down to that prelim final. Um, and if without his shutdown on Gira, then we would not be having any AFL premierships right now, I think. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. So. Yeah, that's one of those sort of magic moments that you'll never forget, mm. I think, that tackle or that smother, I guess you'd call it. But Yeah, no, fantastic. Um, and just on the I feel like game, crying now. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, Sean. Uh, uh, look, honestly, mm-hmm. I'm a bit worried that this week might be a little bit of a downer because um, we'll go through Geelong's record against us in a little bit. But um, <laughs> So really, uh, I, I thought that instead of just going straight into the last time they met, we'd sort of keep it upbeat and in theme with the fact that it's our 20th season. So I just figured we'd talk a little bit about the first time they met, uh, which yep. is, of course, Port versus Geelong, round three, uh, 1997 at Football Park, um, in which we got our first AFL win. Um, we had it in the bag pretty early, um, kicked three goals to zero in the first quarter. Uh, we were five goals up, more, six, six goals up effectively at half halftime, um, and we finished it with a score of 18-12-129, defeating Geelong at 14-690. Um, I've got to say, I reckon in all my life, this is probably the game that we have not looked necessarily like we've definitely got it in the bag, but that you could feel like, yeah, we got this one. Like, that, it's just, you had that real certainty behind like yeah we've got this one in the bag it should not be a problem from here yeah I agree again 100% there was one of those games where you just sort of knew at quarter time yeah I think we've got this this is is going to be the one this is going to be the first win Um, I think from memory I I remember I think I watched the game about six months ago Um, we should have won by a lot more and I guess that sort of summarizes our history in the AFL I think we were about 60 or 70 points up at one stage and then just sort of you know fitted out and Geelong kicked the last three or four goals of the game um, were you there that night? I was. Um, the, I was there and my mum wasn't, which she had to go to my cousin's 21st, which I said flat out I'm not going to. Um, and <laughs> I think it was the best call I ever made. Yeah, I probably had the worst call I ever made. I wasn't there. Oh. I was sick as a dog and <sighs> just made a split-second decision. No, I don't think I can go. I'm, I'm going to vomit or something like that in the stands and it's just going to be a disaster. So I stayed at home. And rude the decision. I think it was the only game in the first four or five seasons that I didn't actually get to. Oh, so that's a real shame. spewing, spewing. But sat next to the radio because, um, of course, it was delayed telecast in those days. Sat next to the radio, eagerly listening, and then uh, then watching the telecast when it came on about an hour later. Um, and it was just a great game. And and I guess we got to see a lot of those sort of young kids in action. You know, Wilbur was fantastic. Um, Donald Dickey, I think, won the Rising Star for that game. Yep. Took an absolute screamer on the wing, and Bowser Lockwood four goals. I know what a I know. start. Uh, he's the, he's the he's the great loss to injury, I think, uh, in a lot of ways. But um, Scott Cummings kicking five. We we came into the AFL with a better forward setup than we got now, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, he was. Um, I mean, Bowen Lockwood. That performance probably cemented him as my favourite player in that era. Yeah. Um, and look. I think we've got to uh, give a big shout-out to Stephen Carter for his performance. A whole row of donuts. Didn't touch it, didn't do anything. What yeah. a gun. Oh, poor Stephen. It was, he was, look, he was a good Magpies-level player, but I think we obviously learned pretty quickly that he wasn't quite up to AFL, but that's all right. You know, we made that mistake with a hell of a lot of Nord and Central's players too. Um, you don't mind taking a punt on someone with that Port Adelaide background. But, yeah, yeah. Um, you go back through. Um, what was interesting, I thought, um, is how much the game has changed in that uh, we won that game pretty handily, 39 points, and only had three players with more than 20 touches for the night, uh, David Brown, Donald Dickey and Braden Lyle. Um, whereas what last week, I think you were looking up, we had seven players with more than 20 touches in a losing side. Um, eight, eight players with 20-plus touches. One of them got dropped, and the other player that got dropped that we'll talk about later had 19 touches. So... Um, yeah, it certainly is different. Of course, that was the era where you could take a mark and then, you know, instead of sort of moving it on quickly, you'd generally take your full quota of 10 or 15 seconds before having another kick. Yeah, and I think there's no doubt we were still playing the John Cale kick long as hard as you can and just sort of go from from there and then have a ball up. So that helps a lot, I suppose, in that in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, all right. Well, that was fun, but now we've got to talk about the last time they met, which was uh, round 11. Oh, do we have to talk about I'm, that? <laughs> I'm sorry we do, just for context. Uh, last time they met, round 11, 12th of June uh, at Adelaide Oval. Um, Geelong beat us, unsurprisingly. Um, they finished 14-8-92, beating us 11-3-69. Um, 
looked at the Brownlow votes. Corey Enright, who has always, always been a real pain in the ass against us, got the three. Caddy two and Wingard came out with one. It wasn't a great game. It wasn't a particularly memorable game. Um, <laughs> uh, <look>. Probably <laughs> the most frustrating performance of last year, in my mm. opinion, even more than the Brisbane and Carlton game, because we actually looked good. We looked really switched on when that game started. Yeah. Um, from what I can see, I had the worst view for, for anyone that says that there's not a bad seat at Adelaide Oval, there is. I was sitting in it. It was terrible. Um, could barely see a bloody thing. Oh. Um, so that was bad enough. But putting up with... Yeah, we, we actually looked switched on. We looked like we were going to win the game early on. You know, I thought, yep, we're going to do it tonight. Um, and then we just made sort of fumble after fumble. And I, th- I think we kicked the ball out of bounds on the full... A record amount of times in an AFL match, which was just frustrating to the max and obviously Matty Lobie was uh, systematically sort of dismantled by Reece Stanley and Mark Blitzavs uh, in the ruck and uh, we, we just had no answer uh, for their dual ruck combo and you know I think that was probably Kent might might even be Kenny's worst performance in the box I reckon because we, we didn't even seem to do anything to sort of counteract that yeah and it looks kind of hard to think that we'll do anything to counteract that this week um mm. Yeah, just in the speaker forum, everyone's sort of shouting out how Stanley kind of destroyed us uh, in that game. And yeah, I don't know, do you want to talk more about this game? Because I, I kind of, I really don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, look, I don't know. What are we going to see out there this week? I think um, because obviously we're going in with just the one Ruckman. Um, mm. And not only do they have uh, Stanley and Blitzarves again, they've also added Zach Smith. Yeah, we look. They've got options in a lot of places that we are most vulnerable. Which is, I remember in a different context. I remember when every time we played the Western Bulldogs with Choco as coach, we'd just load up on tools boards, and because we knew they could never match us. And I kind of feel like that's what Geelong are doing with ruck options. In that, like, yeah, no, we'll win every ruck, and so we can set up accordingly and smash them. Yeah, um, it just looks like it's very deliberately taking advantage of what is our most obvious weakness, and yeah. we don't have an answer to it, which is not great. We've got nothing. Hmm. All right. Well, look, we'll go into this week. Enough of the, the dark memory of the past and um, <laughs> forward into the, the dark memories of the future. Um, this week, we've got a, only two changes. Uh, a little bit surprising. Uh, we had um, Cameron O'Shea and Paul Stewart coming back in. And the outs are Jared Pollock and Brendan Archie. Um, now, Cameron O'Shea, it's interesting. He's been named straight on the field. Um and Stuart, Amon, Burn jones and Sam Gray make up the bench. Big show of faith in O'Shea, I think. I I really like Cam O'Shea coming in. I think um, he's going to provide that sort of run from the back line, which, uh, which we've been missing a little bit. Um, hopefully we don't see any sort of bomb scare moments, but um, mm-hmm. I'm really excited to see what he can do. Paul Stewart's a little bit baffling again. Um, I guess the the strangest part for me was that we've dropped two midfielders and brought in two back flankers. Um, I guess Stuart might be able to run through the midfield or we'll probably see him up forward as well. But uh, for a midfield that got absolutely spanked, um, not just this week, but pretty well <laughs> all year so far, uh, to drop mids and not bring any in, um, not sure about that one at the moment. I kind of think, it's, look, it could be one of two things or it could be both, in fact. Um, one is that, we have just loaded up on experience in replacing Pollock and Archie. So Pollock, he's still not played heaps of games. Uh, Archie has played very few. And Cam O'Shea and Paul Stewart are probably, I reckon, our most our two most experienced players that are fit at the moment in the SNFL team. Um, and so I think that that might be part of it, just getting that experience and sort of level heads in defence. And I think the second part is that we had a little bit of a flag that we need to change the game plan a bit. And I just wonder if we're heading back to the era of the slingshot and we're loading up in defence again So because that was the only thing that seemed to work in the past. Um you think that might be a factor at all? I think so, yeah. I think um, that wouldn't be surprising. Uh, you know, we've now got um, a pretty quick backline, if you look at it. I mean, uh, Pittard's super quick. Um, O'Shea's quick. Stewart, if he plays back there, is quick. Uh, Brody's got a bit of pace. Um, would have, I think I would have preferred uh, Impey to come back in, to be honest. Yep. Um, and I do still think that uh, Dougal Howard should have been an absolute Monty to come in this week. You know, to to have Loby up against three potential Ruckman when he got absolutely hammered last year, um, I'm just not too sure what we're doing. Because if we if we want to have sort of Westhoff following um, Blitzarves around, which I don't think is the worst idea in the world, um, then that leaves Charlie Dixon up front by himself again. So yeah. I think we just needed, uh, I think we're going in a little bit too short. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, and also, if you talk about maybe Dougal Howard not being up to playing out a full game in Ruck, yeah, absolutely, he shouldn't be. But the reality is that Lobby's not going to take... If, if Lobby takes every tap, his opponents won't be. So yeah. I don't think it would have been too much to sort of do a bit of Ruck matching and every time there's one of the secondary Rucks up, that's when you give Howard a bit of a go. Um, yeah. I would have thought that would have been an ideal thing. And also, in a side that sort of seems to be bringing players back to add to mobility uh, in a defensive sense, I would have thought Howard would have been a, a reasonable inclusion to add to that agility and mobility because um, nothing else, he's still he's a keen player that hasn't learnt to hang his head and he has a crack, um, which I think we kind of need that injection of uh, enthusiasm. We've got it with Darcy Byrne-Jones, which is great, but I think we could have done with a little bit more personally. Yeah. So do you think we should have made any more changes? Who do you think is maybe a little bit lucky to still be in there? I think if you talk about who's lucky, um, Jake Need is sort of lucky and sort of not. Um, I'm still in there. I think Jake Need is playing fairly well, but he's he's working real hard, I think, and it's not coming off. I think that's Mm. my view on Need so far this year. Uh, And the reasons why it's not coming off, I don't think they're all directly related to Jake Need. Uh, I think the fact that he's still on the side might say he's actually been following coaches' instructions precisely. And what happens if you're in a side that isn't following coaches' instructions and you are, you are the odd one out. And so I think that might be a bit of what's happening. Uh, We saw that a couple of weeks ago with that handball to Carlisle where Carlisle hadn't run forward. Um, I'm not saying that is all Carlisle's fault, but part of it could be. Maybe that was the instruction. Mm. So when a player stays in like that and they're really... They're working hard but struggling. You've got to think it's got to be that they're following the coach's directions exactly, I would think. Yeah. Look, I think Jakey Need is very similar to Cam O'Shea in the fact that he is usually a slow starter. He hasn't had a big sort of start to the season um, outside of his debut year in, in 2013. Um, so maybe he's just growing into it. I think he's probably performed a little bit better than he was this time last year or also in 2014. Mm. Um Maybe it would have been a little bit harsh if he got dropped after kicking two goals. And, and he did apply some pretty good defensive pressure, even though he had that one horror moment with Brad Ebert um, on the forward flank. Um, for me, I guess Tumpus might be a little bit lucky. I think someone yeah. like Jonas might be a little bit lucky. Um, I'm surprised that another sort of big name didn't get dropped. So I think Amon might be a little bit lucky because he really did nothing at all last week. He's not a big name, though. But I no, do, that, I that was two separate chat. points, but... Yeah, sorry. I can see in the chat room there's a few people thinking we should have dropped a leader and that maybe someone like Hartlett is lucky as well. Um, I don't hold with that personally. I think that Hartlett, we're not keeping him in the side because he's a vice-captain. I think we're keeping him in the side because he's got to find form again. Um, And he's a guy that's not going to gain any form at SANFL level because he'll just sit back and pick off the ball all day and not really work all that hard if he doesn't have to. Um, For all those that think we should have been dropping Ebert, Hartlett, Boke, Wingard, you know, all these bloody big names. What's the point? Like, what is the point of doing that? What's the point of Hartlett having 58 touches in the SANFL um, or Ebert kicking six goals from the midfield? Like, you, you don't learn anything. You're not going to learn a thing from that. It might be embarrassing for them, and that, that would be the only point to do it, which is uh, pretty silly. Yeah, and also, how really, let's just be frank here, how great is embarrassment as a motivation, as a positive motivational tool, you know? Um, it's not great. It builds fear. It, the the threat of punishment or invisible punishment where everyone knows you've done wrong. Um, if you don't follow through and make a real punishment, then all it is is it gets people paranoid and mm. it, it just creates negative feeling. And I don't think it, I don't think it realistically works personally. Um, yeah. yeah. So, same as making wholesale changes like making seven or eight changes, which some people ask for as well. I don't think that ever works. I, I remember us doing that once um, – might have been in Choco's last year or, mm. or maybe 2009 as well. We made eight changes from memory. Yep. And I, and I think we lost the next game by 70 points to uh, to the dogs away, I think it was. So I don't think that ever works either. So I think um, with the senior guys, you've, you've generally got to stick fat and, and have faith that they're going to turn it around, which I think is a, is a fair point. Look, I think it can work, but only in very specific circumstances. And that is when you are a top flight team that has depth down to player 30 um if you don't have that then there's no point absolutely but i think there was a time when choco was around when we had a few young players that looked like they deserved an opportunity um stephen gillam is one that really sticks in my mind is not ever getting a fair go um at a time when yeah okay it might have been hard to have to bring him in the side 
when all things were best, but Choco stuck fat with his top side too much, I reckon, and so we lost a player that has gone on to have a pretty decent career <laughs> um, because we were not willing to give him a shot when he probably deserved one. Um, oh, no doubt. And that also screwed us over in finals when we lost Paxman on the eve yeah. of the finals and Wakeland on the eve of the finals when we didn't bother playing Toby Thurston, who was in ripping form at centre-half back in the uh, SNFL. We didn't give him a taste and we, yep. we probably should have and that really sort of hurt us in those two years as well. Yeah, we were... We were, pun- we were yeah. We, were, we know Choco had his favourites. Um, it's a little bit worrying to think that. I've been reluctant to say it. I've been thinking it for a couple of years, but really reluctant to think that Hinkley is in that respect fairly similar in that he wants to stick with his top team and doesn't want to do much else. Um, I don't know. I'm, a bit, I'm I'm a bit worried, but we'll see. It's too early to say definitively gold passes are back or eighty percent versus a hundred percent. All those sort of things that have besmirched. Adelaide in the past. Yeah. No, he certainly hasn't done anything like that. I think when you look at it, I mean, his first two years we were sort of high up in the finals, so that's fair enough. You're playing, yeah, you're playing good footy, you're not going to make wholesale changes. Last year, I think it was fair that we didn't drop some guys at certain stages because you, you've got to have faith that they're going to turn it around because, you know, we were a kick off a grand final the year before. You've got to have faith that these guys are going to get back in form at some point. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's one of the tough things of being a coach, isn't it, is, is making those sort of hard decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just go through a few comments from the, uh, from the chat room right now. Um, we've got one person asking, oh, actually, Rick asking if we're going to ditch the press. Um, I think we probably are not ditching the press, but that we're focusing back on what has been traditionally successful in the past. Um <laughs> and Rick has also said, don't question the fans, Macca. We know everything. Drop the whole 22, which I don't think we could even do. <laughs> Classic Rick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he needs to shut up for a bit. What do you reckon? <laughs> I reckon, yeah. Can we dump him from the chat room? I don't know. No, I don't think you can. Well, actually, there's no. a settings button next to him. Block <gasps> user, shall I? Block. Oh. Nah. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, now, we've uh, talked about... Um, bringing how Need has been a bit lucky and Tompas has probably been a bit lucky. Um, I suppose if we talk about who's been unlucky, and I think that there's probably a few people... It'd be hard to make a case for Brendan Archie staying in the side, but Jared Polek, I kind of think... Personally, I think that two weeks ago he was one of our best players, um, yeah. and to drop him on the back of last week in exclusion, I think is probably... Gee, he must have been doing <laughs> something really wrong to be picked out unless he's carrying injury. I think with Polek, I think this is a case where they've looked at the, uh, the footage in the review with the players, and he's done a lot wrong. And I think statistically he had five pressure acts last week. So mm-hmm. for a midfielder to have five pressure acts in 100 minutes of footy is probably not all that great, to be honest. I think he's um, yeah, he's, he's a player that's, uh, that's maybe not been doing what he's uh, supposed to be doing, and he's uh, now suffering the consequence for it. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Um, you have to say he might have been going against the instructions. I kind of think that Pollock is a... I don't, it sounds unfair to call him a One Direction player, but he kind of is. He kind um, of is, yeah. Yeah, in that, and it's not that he's One Direction because he just can't be bothered, but that if he ever has a choice between chasing a guy down to maybe put some pressure on or setting up to set up a goal, he will choose the second one every single time, uh, yeah. and that's not always the best choice. Yeah, no, that's mm. right. I, I'm not too... It's a bit 50-50, I think, on that performance... Looking at it in retrospect, um, if he didn't have that sort of defensive pressure and the coaches have seen a number of things wrong with his game, I think it's fair enough that he's dropped. But he's also one of the only guys in our side at the moment that can actually run and carry the ball and break the line. So it's kind of that sort of double-edged sword at the moment. Yeah, um, Dylan's just taken advantage of me saying he's a One Direction player and pointed out these a bit like Harry Styles or Zayn Malik, which, um, thanks, Dylan. That's great. (laughs) Classic. Uh, all right, well, look, we'll look at Geelong briefly. Um, I think yep. the first thing we've got to look at with Geelong is the most painful thing, which is that we have a 31% win rate against Geelong over our history against them, 50% at Adelaide Oval, which is a short history. Um, our win rate against North Melbourne is 30%. So if we lose against Geelong this week, um, Geelong have caught up to North Melbourne against whom we had the most awful run of losses, uh, and Geelong will become, I believe, our most defeated by team. Um, and we've lost 11 of our last 12 games against them, which is just really 
Horrific <laughs> is, is the word. Yeah. When will it end? When will this end? Um, this is like the never-ending sort of nightmare. But we, we had a good run against Geelong for a while there. It's sort of uh, the, the start of um, uh, the start of last decade. You know, we had a pretty good run. I think we won about uh, five out of six, I think. And then it just went all downhill from there. Uh, and it's the fact that we seem to play them at Cadinia Park every single time we bloody play them. Yeah, um, and the, fa- the fact that when we were sort of going downhill and they were sort of unbeatable, um, we played them at Cadenia Park every bloody year. So we were never, ever going to win those games. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got, I know they did that to us with Brisbane as well when Brisbane were on a high. We played in the game yeah. every single year. Um, but we at least won a few of those. Um, I, I don't know. Do you think that... Honestly, I never thought any club would come close to that North Melbourne record against us. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't think it was even possible, but they've done it. And so now we've got a, a jinx against both sides with blue and white stripes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a, that's a fair call. Um, mm. Disappointing. So hopefully we can turn it around this week because, look, that win um, Anzac Day or Anzac Round um, two years ago was uh, was one of the best wins of 2014, I thought. Just an absolute ripper game. Mm. Um, and that showed... That, that maybe shows how far we've actually fallen because I always think to that game as the point where, you know, we just absolutely physically assaulted them that day. You know, we, we didn't stand for it. You know, that was the day we, where we sort of drew the line in the sand and yep. said, this is enough. We're not going to lose to Geelong again. And we we beat them pretty convincingly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it felt like that game in, what, 2001 when Primus was sort of picked up Jason Johnson and shook him around. Um, for yeah. Essendon sort of showing Essendon yeah. we're on the way up and you're on the way down and it felt like it was one of those moments but in hindsight it was too soon it's not happening mm. for either of us yet they're not going down we're not going up so that's boring have you, see, have you seen much of Geelong so far this year? I've tried not to <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I've only seen a little bit honestly um, It's. It, it, I think that I know that I have PTSD when it comes to watching Geelong play these days, and I reckon the Port players probably do a bit as well. It's just you watch and you just think, oh, oh. even no matter who they're playing, I just have real trouble watching them, I've got to say. I think the fact that a lot of those sort of premiership players are gone now, I think it's um, mm. it's made things a little bit easier. Yeah, but not really, because they're the leaders. Um, so when everyone else is wondering who do we look to, um, then we see, you know, who do we look to? Boak, Westhoff. Um, mm. Gray, although Gray works through it, you know they're still all there. It's just that they're at the top now, which is, mm. <laughs> mm. yeah. So I, I've seen them play a couple of times. I thought they were really impressive in round one. Obviously, they beat Hawthorne. Um, then they lost to GWS, and um, mm. probably haven't been all that convincing the last couple of weeks either. They they did the job against Brisbane. I guess that's expected. And um, Essendon were looking pretty good there for a while against Geelong last week. So. Yeah. And uh, not sure that the um, uh, the resurrection of the cats um, is as uh, as built up as it's supposed to be at the moment. But. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, we're sort of hoping, I guess, that we are the team that does what we did to Essen in two thousand and one, and we have our moment where we go, yeah, rah, rah, you know, you're you're out, we're up. Um, but we'll see. Um, so yep. just as far as their squad changes, uh, there's a big in for Geelong. Um, he had a, a week off, so he could be properly primed to tear us apart again, and that's Corey Enright coming back <laughs> in the side, uh, along with uh, Shane Kirsten and Lincoln McCarthy, and the outs are Lockie Henderson, James, uh, Murdoch, and Lang. So, Bloody Corey Enright. <sighs> Another magpie. Yeah, I mean, at least... I think he actually came through the same... Money. Yeah, I think he actually came through the same era as, uh, as Sean, uh, the same underage team. Um, yeah, maybe. So he's another sort of 300-game player from the Maggies from that year. Yeah, Sean, I think, was two years or a year or two later, but he probably might have played with him when they were up, you know, up-leveling yeah. and all that sort of thing. Yeah, um, gun player, um, and that's not really great news for us at all. Um, so now the real question is, how do we match up on them around the ground? Um, <laughs> Poorly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean... Uh, look, no, actually, I don't think we are all that bad. I think, as I said... Pre, uh, pre-recording, I think um, Geelong are a side which are pretty top-heavy in, in terms of that their first sort of 10 or 12 players are really, really good. Their bottom six or seven um, haven't really shown all that much yet. Um, but they lack that sort of depth across the ground uh, that some other clubs have. Um, uh, and that's that might be where we can maybe get a bit of an advantage. Yeah, hopefully. Um... <laughs> 
I look, I honestly think that we, it's all our mindset. I think it's all on us to a large extent. I mean, we know Geelong should come out hard and maybe if they don't, then that could be a chance for us to regroup. But I think it's just going to come down to how switched on we are, as it seems to do most weeks. Um, I think that the fact that we can see five minutes in whether we're going to win or lose most of the time, that might be part of what's creating the illusion that we can do anything. And it, like it's a classic gifted sort of thing. Uh, in that you, it's easier to just make it really hard for yourself. And then if you come close, it's like, ah, oh, you know, I did pretty well in extreme circumstances. But the reality is, if you're switched on from day one, you should have absolutely smashed them. Um, yeah, it's a real mindset thing there, I think. But I've, I think the big um, the big issue we have this week is pace. I think uh, yeah. Geelong are, are a very quick side. You look straight through their line. You you know you got Cockatoo. You got Motlop, you got Mackey, Duncan's mm. really quick, Guthrie's got really good pace. Um, and even on their bench, you know, Gregson, McCarthy, you know, they, they got a really quick side. Um, and obviously Dangerfield as well. Um, yeah. And with the way that we've been playing, we look so sluggish at the moment. I mean, this is going to bring back nightmares of, of some of those um, Cadinia Park um, games from sort of four or five years ago where we were sort of trailing them all day. Um, and we end up getting thrashed. So that, that's probably my biggest concern at the moment is that we're not going to have the, the pace. And if we do have some sort of fitness issue, um, then that's really going to count again against us on a Saturday night. Oh, look, I mean, I think that you're right there, but I, I honestly think it's just going to come down to centre clearances. Um, mm. if, if we don't, if we don't win, it, win at centre clearances and at ball-ups, then you know I don't think we'll get the opportunity to rebound like we hope to do. Um, yeah. And I think that, we're just so weak there right now. Um, we're weak in ruck, obviously, with multiple options to go up against us, and we're, we're just weak as a midfield unit um, at the moment, which is problematic. Um, we've had a few good comments on the um, speaker right now. Uh, one is from JBC saying he wants to see Dangerfield wince in the first five minutes because it'll mean we're on song, which, <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, Todd Bell said that Geelong are very similar to Port, and they have a lot of players who sound good on paper but in practice stuff it up fairly often these days, which that's probably reasonable um yep. and i guess that's kind of one of those things that you'd say is typical of an empire in decline um we sort of saw that i reckon with the brisbane lions on their way down um yeah we and yeah we just saw these guys that were coming in and they came in at the tail end and they looked kind of good early on but then when the true quality left the side they just started having more trouble um it's natural Rick- it's natural it's yeah. always going to happen um and look it's definitely 100 percent right you know geelong's mm. next generation haven't been as impressive as what they did look uh, through that sort of 2011 grand final. Um, Duncan's probably the only one that's really gone on with it. Um, I think he's quite possibly the most underrated player in the whole league. I think he never gets talked about, but he's a an absolute bold magnet. He's super quick. And I think he's actually got the best disposable efficiency in the whole competition. Yeah. Um, and we had one more query from Rick. Um, how will we match Hawkins and Smith up forward, which I think is, yeah... I, I don't have. I've got some. I've got faith in our defenders' ability to limit supply with those inclusions, but I'm kind of concerned about our ability to just win those one on ones. Um, our tall defenders haven't been in great form, I don't think. Yeah. Well, this is where Cam O'Shea becomes super important as that third man up, which we know that he can play super, super well. So, look, I'd be expecting Homsch to go to Hawkins. Obviously, I think Trengove will go to either Smith or Stanley, whoever's up there. Um, Jonas will likely get Kirsten. Um, and they might swap around a little bit from there. But, yeah, I think Cam O'Shea, as we know, is going to be super important this week. Yeah. Well, I think it all comes down to... What were you going to say? I was just going to say that Cam O'Shea, um, he, as a, as a guy that can read the play run all day and can intercept, um, he's built for the press. So he should be, if he's anywhere near his decent form, he should be absolutely fantastic. This is the sort yep. of game plan that should be suiting him to a T. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. But look, I think um, Dangerfield is uh, is obviously the the key component yeah. this week. I guess he's the player that we're all going to go and want to see, and I want to stop from having some sort of impact. Um, he's eleventh in disposals in the league, first in inside fifties, fifth in contested possessions. Um, he averages twenty two touches and just under a goal a game against Port. Has picked up Brownlow votes in three of the last four. Um, and the game he didn't vote in, he got 27 touches and 13 clearances. So, um, obviously, he's a player that we know too well and uh, obviously love to hate at the Crows. And now he's my favourite player across the whole league. So, there you go. It's amazing what uh, a Guernsey change can do, isn't it? <laughs> That's it. Getting rid of that red and yellow shit. Yeah, and no, I pissed that right off. Mm. Uh, and just, I guess, the last thing we really got to address here is the coaches. Um, and from a Geelong perspective, like, should we be worried about Chris Scott? Um, obviously, 
he's had a fantastic uh, record against us. But you look at the Brisbane alumni and you look at them as senior coaches and really the, he's the only one that's had any significant success. And I, I've got a theory that coaching Geelong right now is the closest anyone can come to coaching the 2001 to 2003 Brisbane Lions. Um, they're the most similar and that's probably why he's had the most success in that he's... Yeah. He played in that exact environment pretty much with strong midfields and, you know, good keys. Uh, and he, he's just sort of biting that through. But do you think that if things are not going well, do you think he's got the coaching chops? Uh, I think he's um, I think he's done better than I thought he would do, mm. um, I guess, with what he's had at his disposal. And as I said before, that sort of second generation coming through didn't really live up to expectation. Um so I think he does have a pretty good sort of um, eye for changing things up tactically. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, no, fair enough. All right. Um, I'll just, we'll go on to uh, the Fringe Force 5, which we've been doing every week, uh, going through yep. five players that we've been looking into that are kind of on the fringe, and I think we've hit the mark with these so far. Um, mm. This week we're going to talk about Sam Cahoon. Now, Sam Cahoon, he was pick three in the 2003-13 preseason draft. He's 21 years old, uh, 179 centimetres, 72 kilograms. He's the same age as Need, Wines, uh, Burn jones Carl Amon and Jarman Impey. He's played 16 games in three and a bit seasons with missing all of 2014 with the knee Rico, and he played six games last year. Um, we, I think there's been a... I certainly, I've got a bet going with Rick, haven't I, about how many games he's going to play in his career. Um, yep. But uh, what do you think it means that someone like Burn jones has leapfrogged him um, I know that we've talked about how he is a bit Kane Cornish in his ability to just sort of have endurance and accumulate. <clears throat> Do you think there's a place for that with the changes to the game that we've seen so far? Not too sure, to be honest. I, I really don't know. I, I don't mind Sammy. I, I really liked uh, what he did in his first year. It was a bit shattering that he did his knee in his second mm. year. Obviously, he's still got um, uh, time on his side. I think he tries really hard, and when he has played, he's been a really consistent performer. Um, and most times uh, he's played at AFL level, he, he's done all right. Um, I just don't know if he's got enough tricks to make it. Um, he, he lacks strength. He's not big. He's not quick enough. Um, his skills aren't immaculate, which I think um, if you play his sort of style, you really want to have sort of pretty immaculate skills. Um, and I think that might be the, the real sort of um, the, the downside to Sammy Cahoon having a, a, a longer sort of AFL career. Yeah, look, I think it's interesting because we're looking at how every team's having these little fitness hiccups along the way and I think we've been caught out with these changes in that we have a, a pretty decent number of impact players that sort of do well in bursts, so the limiting interchanges probably is affecting us there. Mm. Um, I kind of wonder if there's room for someone like her now, um, which is a contradiction of what I thought previously, but I think there might be room for him to be someone that stays on the field all game and contests. And he doesn't yeah. have to necessarily be your best player, but he fills a spot and doesn't get beaten too badly, or beaten at all, hopefully. And yeah. that allows you to keep someone on the bench a bit more um, and rotate among the players that are going to have a bigger impact on the game. Just sort of wonder if there's that room <clears throat> for him, potentially. Quite possibly. I, I think if he had better defensive ability, he'd be yeah. playing every week. He, he'd be an absolute Monty to play sort of 22 games a year every year. Um, but I just don't think we know what to do with him at the moment. We've got, we've got this kid who's an absolute ball magnet who runs all day. He's one of the fittest players at the club, um, just wins the bowl, uh, and we just don't know what to do with him. We, do, we don't know whether we can sort of play him as that sort of defensive sweeper because he's not defensive enough. Um, obviously, there was talk in the preseason that we, we want to sort of trial him uh, in Monfrey's role on a forward flank, and he played one pretty decent game there in the preseason. But can we really sort of see him performing that role longer term? I don't think so. Um, so it's kind of one of those sort of um, odd situations with Sammy where there's a kid with um, potential AFL ability that we just don't know where to play. Um, yeah. So, yeah, not not sure. I don't know. I, I'm not all that surprised that Burn Jones has leapfrogged him, to be honest, because he's a, a much better defensive player. He's got more pace um, and he's got better skills. So pretty simple. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, we just had a good comment here from uh, Matt Lane on the forum, uh, on sorry, on the speaker chat, uh, saying there isn't much to him. He had me sold after his 2013 final series, but he just hasn't continued on. Though he missed 14 with the knee and the return year is always tough. This is the year yep. he's got to do something, which yep. I think is pretty much a good summary of what we've just been saying. In a lot of ways, it's just he has to perform this year because if he doesn't, I mean, you've got to wonder. I think I, I, this is one of my little 
hobby horses, but he's small for an AFL player. And if you're not, if mm-hmm. you're small for an AFL player and you don't have something exceptional about your game, I just don't think you make it. Yeah. Uh, he's under 180 centimeters, so he's not going to be out marking. He's not going to be out running. He's not going to be out anything in, uh, from what we've seen in the past. Uh, and yeah, he's no he's no Roger James with skills to make up for it or intensity. Um, do you think he's got a future at Port Adelaide beyond 2016? Uh, that's a really tough one. That's a really tough one. I'm trying to think of who's uncontracted. Um, he might be in the spotlight a little bit, um, which might be harsh. I don't know. I think if he did get delisted, he'd find another spot somewhere. Because um, I think um, at some clubs, he'd be all right to play sort of uh, you know 15 to 20 games a year. Um, that might want that sort of hard-running player that uh, they can rack up possessions. Um, he reminds me a lot of maybe Matt Jones from Melbourne, that sort of yeah. player. Yep. Um, sort of good in a bad side, but um, as you, you get better and you get more talent, he's probably going to find it a little bit tough to get games. Um, I, I don't know. As, as I said, I, I guess I hold out hope for, for Sammy because I do like him. Um, and as I said, every time he sort of plays, he, he does all right. And I'm always sort of impressed by a few things that he does. Is you just got to put that together on a more consistent basis. Yeah, I just kind of wonder whether, probably more than most other players on our side, whether he's the victim of the change in game. Um, a year ago, we might have thought, yeah, there's possibly room for it. But can you afford to not have class on the field when you've got 22 players and so few rotations, so you're sort of gunning them all the time? I just sort of, I don't know. I don't know. I guess, I guess talking about the AFL now as a whole across this season, I think the general consensus that was that we would be seeing sort of slower games. Yeah. Um, teams would be sort of slowing the ball down a little bit. Um, but we haven't actually seen that. We've seen teams with huge pace, huge explosive pace dominate so far. Guys like um, the Dogs and GWS played really well. And, um, you know, the Crows are playing super footy at the moment. And they're, they're a very, very quick side. So it probably hasn't gone the way that a lot of people expected it might go. Um, so in that case, I, I still think someone like Sammy Cahoon might be in the gun a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that there was sort of two changes that have contradicted each other, and the one that we were all talking about over the off-season was the drop in the interchange cap. Um, yep. But the one we didn't consider is how the markers changed, and I think that's probably the biggest thing that is making more shootouts because people are, or clubs are trying to take advantage of that. Um, you know, always the mark has been the the most incredible thing in our game to gain possession and gain an advantage and it's become even more so because marks are more valuable now because you get more clear space to do things you want to do Um, it's a a huge impact um, I think personally Um, and I think that's why we're seeing so many shootouts because once you've got your mark you can sort of mess around and do pretty much whatever you want yeah no Mm. that's uh, I agree with that yeah all right, well, we'll quickly talk about the Magpies game. Um, not a lot of changes. Uh, Dan Houston's going to be debuting, uh, and Jared Pollock will be playing his first game at Port in the SNFL. Uh, we've got Inns of Clurry, MP Cracker, Archie, Pollock, Houston, and Frampton. Uh, Mitchell's obviously missing with suspension, and we've got Johnson out with a hamstring. Um, I don't know, what do you reckon? We've got a chance against uh, <laughs> uh, Central Districts. Oh, who are we playing? Yeah, Central Districts. The big text to play his first game. I'm excited about that to see what yeah. he can do. Um, looked uh, pretty interesting uh, in his uh, in his draft footage. Um, maybe a little bit one dimensional, but mm. um, uh, will be interesting to see how he goes. Uh, really excited that Cleary's back. Um, excited that Cracker's back, um, and of course uh, Frampton as well playing his first game for the year. So, yeah, a lot to like about the Maggies uh, this week. I think. You reckon they've got a, a shot of actually winning this, or? Uh... What do you think? Because, I mean, it's probably the strongest team we've named this year, really, isn't it? Oh, no doubt. Yeah, we've now got options uh, with guys like Impey and Polek and Archie back in there. And, of course, Cracker, we've got um, some really, really good SANFL footballers um, running around. Um, I would expect someone like Polek to dominate. I would hope that Archie would be you know, getting sort of high 20s in disposals and, uh, and really bossing them around. Um, and I really want to see sort of Impey take the game on and not play a defensive role. I really want to see him sort of uh, running up and down the wing and uh, and trying to um, have an impact that way. Yeah, look, I mean, I agree with that on MP. I think that I personally think that's his long term future. I think we've almost tried giving him. It's only just come to my mind that we've tried giving him sort of the the Sean Burgoyne upbringing in starting him in defence and then moving him further upfield as he gets better and more experience. Um, yeah. 
because I think that his his natural traits, like if this was the nineties or the eighties, he'd be a wingman, absolutely, one hundred percent, he'd be a wingman all the time. Um, and I don't have any doubt about that. Uh, and I think that we just got to get him to the level where he can do that and just have that transition. But he's still only young, twenty one, and he's playing games pretty regularly, and he's got a lot of things to his game that are pretty exceptional. So I think. You know, he'll be back in the side within a week or yeah. two, for sure. Um, now, is there anyone at the um, Magpie side that you sort of think is uh, in particularly good form that uh, we should be looking out for if you go to the game? Uh, not particularly. I, th- I think I've just sp- spoken about them. I guess Sammy Cahoon will be interesting to see how he goes. Um, really want him to have a big game um, and continue sort of pushing for selection, as we've just sort of spoken about. So he's probably the one to watch. Um, and to see uh, just sort of how he plays and, and if he can rack up another th- uh, 30 touches. Uh, fair enough. Um, we've got a comment here from Ed Gibbo saying, uh, so if Clurry, Crack and Billy are all fit and fast, does that prove Burjo cooked us? Mm. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know what I think about that. Because yeah. we had, what, Wingo... If, it, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it, does it make sense? <laughs> That's that sort of question, I think. Yeah, that's a that's, that was a Rick sort of question, actually. Mac, what are mm. you doing? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Um, all right. <laughs> Look, there's always outliers, isn't there? Just yeah. because, like, just because, I mean, if the whole group is cooked, it doesn't mean that every single player in it is cooked. There's going to be players which are still super fit or super quick. So, yep. yeah. Yeah, and we just had uh, one query from JBC asking, who does Frampton remind you of as a player? Kind of hard to say. If you were to blend um, Darren Smith with Dean Brogan, that would be the Mm. closest I can think of. I think he's got that sort of aggression um, of Dean Brogan. Yeah. Um, He really reminds me a a lot of a young Darren Smith, and it's not just his looks and his his blonde hair. it's the way he sort of takes his marks. It's the way he kicks the ball. It's the way he sort of impacts up forward. So, yeah, that's probably two that I think. I guess I'm going probably a long way back in the past. I'm sort of thinking a bit of a Damien Monkhorst sort of uh, Ruckman. I don't know. Like, he, he was pretty aggressive. I don't know that his quality was right up there with what we'd hope to get from Frampton, but he was sort of, I don't know, I feel he was kind of from the same kind of mould. We'll see. Yeah, look, I, the thing I like about Billy is that um, I guess a lot of young Ruckman look like they sort of struggle to run and, and stand up straight as opposed to um, sort of uh, your, your smaller sort of players. And it, and it mm. takes them a while to sort of grow into their body and, and get that sort of strength and uh, and learn sort of kicking and that, that sort of thing. Um, but I think Billy's got natural talent. You know, he can take a big grab. He's a great kick of the footy. Um, so I'm really excited to see what he can do this year. And if, if he can come on and, mm. uh, and Howard can come on and uh, – as we know, I'm a, a huge fan of uh, Logan Austin as well. Um, you know, that draft might be uh, looking pretty good. Yeah, um, particularly given we're in it so late. Um, mm, I think there's exactly. just one thing. When you're looking at Frampton, you're looking at our side right now. Like we, we, I think that now we need Frampton as much as we needed John Butcher two years ago um, to just become an option. Uh, yeah. Because if he doesn't, then we've got not a lot at all. Mm. Um, worrying. But uh, that's a problem for list management time, and that's not now. <laughs> Uh, all right, so look, we'll just wrap it up. Um, just a quick couple. So we've got uh, the winning side and margin, and who's your highest goal kicker for Port Adelaide? Uh, winning side, sad to say, I'm going to say Geelong. I'm going to say by 71 points. Yeah. And biggest goal kicker, I'm going to save that uh, for another section in a second. Oh, okay. All right. Um, it sort well, of matches. Oh, yes, fair enough. All right. Well, um, my winning side, I've, I've got to say, Chong's going to win too. Um, you look at all the odds and everything. Um, if we win, it'll be one of those real against the odds, literally, uh, events because we've just lost so frequently to Geelong in the past and it looks like we're as mentally weak as we've ever been. So I reckon probably Geelong by... All right, I'm going to go 60. I'm going to be a bit more positive than you, Maka. Um, okay. But if we can stay in 60, I'll be, I'll be thinking... I'll be hugely disappointed, but it'll be about what I'd expect. Um, yep. High score kick. I reckon this is going to be a good one for Charlie Dixon, actually. Um, okay. Because I think that you can't deny the fact that he has his placement in the side 
as far as where he's been leading and not leading, actually, and just sort of standing around has been poor. And I hope that's one of the things that we're trying to correct this week uh, in giving him a bit more space and a bit more license to lead up the ground and take marks on the 50 as opposed to stand in the goal square and hold his hands above his head and hope. Um, now, the bad guy medalist. Badco medalist. Uh, obviously, we're playing for the Peter Badco medal because it's Anzac Day weekend. Um, who's your thought? Look, if if Geelong are going to win by seventy-one points, I'm going to yep. say Selwood. I'm going to go Enright just because that would just be a total kick. Uh, yeah, Enright, I reckon. Yeah. Uh, now, there's a segment we've been doing recently, which every week I point out someone that doesn't quite fit. So we've renamed the spuds that tear us apart, and we're going to call it the immediate because it's never expected, and suddenly they're there for good or bad. Um, and naming one for Port Adelaide and one for Geelong are good and are bad. So uh, who are your nominations for the immediate this week? <clears throat> it's it's a good thing we've changed the name of this because, as we know, a spud, the, the old uh, spud that tears us apart from yeah. uh, from the Primus era, they're often not a spud. No. They're, they're often you know uh, an unlikely player or, or a young player that has a match sort of changing performance for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I'm going to choose someone of that ilk and uh, say Nakia Cockatoo who, for me at the moment, has been all hype and no substance in his uh, short career today. He's only kicked four goals in his 13 games, averaging less than 10 touches a game. Um, he had a really big preseason this year. I think he's an absolute monster talent and could be one of the best players in the AFL in time. Um, and I just sense with how we're sort of travelling through the midfield at the moment um, and the lack of sort of pace in our side... I think this will be his breakout game on Saturday night, and I'm expecting 20 touches and two goals. He's not named, is he? I'm uh, pretty sure he is. Ooh. He's in a forward pocket, I think. Mm, not on this list I'm looking at, unless I'm scanning wrong. Mm, yeah, he's matched up against uh, Jack Homsch at the moment. I must be looking at an old list here. That's from the Geelong website too, how poor. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And who's your Port Adelaide immediate? My Port Adelaide immediate is um, also going to be our leading goal kicker. I'm going to say Paul Stewart is going to kick three goals. Really? Yeah. That would be a that that would be a big surprise, I think. Um, I'm sure he hasn't really sort of hit the goal kickers all that often in recent years. Yeah, that sort of one really good year um, as that sort of lead up, sort of third tall forward in 2012, I think it was. Um, I think he's coming into the side to sort of play that sort of role again. Um, and I reckon he might um, might get the edge on someone like Jake Collajazny or someone like that. So I'm going to see him kick three goals this week. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, look, I, as far as a, a Geelong immediate for me, I, I can't think of one because I don't know their depth well enough, to be honest, because I try to avoid watching Geelong matches. Um, oh, gosh, you'd have to say Stanley, but I don't. I think that's too obvious. Um, Menzel? Menzel might get away and kick three or four. We'll see. Yep. He kicked five behinds last weekend, so he's due for a couple oh, of goals. Very due then. Uh, and as for Port Adelaide, uh, look, I'd have to say that my immediate for Port Adelaide would probably be Carl Amon because he stayed in the side. I don't think he's really been troubling the scorers as much as you would have expected based on the role he fills for in our side and how well he was playing last year. I kind of wonder with Pollock out whether that might mean he gets more of an opportunity to be the first option going forward. And I kind of think that... He's up to it, and hopefully he can uh, kick two or three and yep. get 25 disposals, ideally. Um, we'll see how that goes, but he's my immediate okay. support. Yep. And uh, who's your bet the house? What's your bet the my house My bet week? the house is uh, is related to Dangerfield. Um, I think, uh, as I said before, I think the scary thing um, with Danger is his breakaway speed, obviously, from the stoppages, um, and we could be in real trouble this week uh, with our sort of sluggish midfield at the moment. Um, and look, similar players have killed us so far this year. Uh, Jack Stephen had 36 touches and seven clearances. Brad Crouch had 23 and six. Zaharakis had 27 and eight. And Dylan Shield last week had 31 and nine clearances. Mm. Uh, so for me, I'm going to have Danger to have the midfielder equivalent of a triple double. Oh, I'm going to have him uh, getting 30 touches, double figure clearances, and three goals. Wow. Um, yeah, that'd be that'd be Brownlow contention performance. There's no doubt that that's exactly yeah, yeah that's the one. Um, I think that's probably to happen too. So that's yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. I, hope it I need a win. I need a win because I'm uh, I'm losing houses at a, a fast rate of knots at the moment. So <laughs> yeah, it's not a good time to lose a house. Um, okay, I reckon personally because I'm going to go with the coaches. 
I'm going to say this is going to be the game that Jake Need comes back into the better players for the side. Um, I think he's the sort of player that can get through Geelong. He's certainly not afraid of, of, of contests. Uh, and I think it would be quite easy to underrate him if you're a mid-level or lower-level player at Geelong. Just sort of think, oh yeah, this is not a tough matchup given his form this year, but I think he can get through. I'm going yeah. to tip Need to get at least 15 disposals and two goals. Okay. I reckon. I'd be, I reckon, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, I reckon. It would, I reckon that'll be my uh, bet. The house for this week is on Jake Need. Yep. All right. Now the only last thing. Yep. Quick one. Uh, what do you think the crowd's going to be? Because I reckon pre-season we would have locked this one in as a, as a definite 50-plus. Um, do you think we will still get that? Or do you think we might see a few people stay away? Look, we've got a few guesses on the uh, Spreaker chat, which is um, Rick saying maybe about 41,000. Scott S is saying 46K-ish. Um, but if we lose it, we might see a big drop from then on. Uh, Ryan Chiller reckons about 48. Um I'm not really adventurous on crowd numbers. I reckon it's better to underestimate because right now you've got to go by your own feeling and whatever you're feeling right now, you can bet that most Port fans are too. Um, yeah. It's a night match, which is great. It's a good, still great weather in Adelaide as far as I can tell. Um, Adelaide in autumn is exactly the time you want to go to the footy on a Saturday night. So I reckon the crowd will still be pretty good. I reckon we'll probably get around 47, hopefully. And it'll be a good, I reckon it'll be a good crowd in a good time slot and good weather. Yep, I'm still expecting 49,000. I reckon Geelong have got pretty good rep- uh, representation in South Australia. They've got a pretty good supporter base here. So I reckon uh, a lot of people will still come out for this one. And, yeah, if we if we get thrashed in this, um, then we might see a bit of a drop-off from there. I guess the, uh, the other final question that I've got, yep. Dangerfield, mm. do we expect him to get booed? Or will he be clapped? What's going to happen there? It depends on how many Crows members turn up. Because <laughs> <laughs> as we've seen with Tippett, Port fans have still sort of booed Tippett, which uh, does my head in. Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't get that. I mean, he was the perfect... Uh, for someone that has been tainted by being at the Crows, his eggs was absolutely perfect because they yeah. got nothing for him and, in fact, they lost draft picks for for messing around So, and, and hurt their reputation. I mean, I could never boo Kurt Tippett. Um, the same as I could never have booed Scott Lucas after he kicked what eight goals and got us in the finals that year. <laughs> yeah, um, very true. Yeah, it, just all good. Um, Dangerfield, I reckon he will get booed, um, but only if he does all right. I think he's. I think the booing he's more likely to get from a Port Adelaide crowd is if he kicks out on the full or something like that, and then it'll be merciless. But yeah. otherwise, I think it'll, I don't think he'll just get booed for touching the ball. I don't think he's in Adam Good's territory um, in any respect uh, in terms of just having people boo him reflexively. I don't think it'll happen. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. Well, about time to wrap up. Just one last thing that we have to mention, otherwise Rick will, Rick's head will explode. Which is that uh, to remind people listening in, if you enjoyed the program, and even if you didn't, um, maybe leave a review on iTunes. It gets us up the charts and has people uh, that are browsing through iTunes going, "Oh, hey, what's this fantastic podcast with amazingly informed presenters and uh, so forth?" So, if you do a review on iTunes at the moment. Um, there is a prize for uh, locker and tickets coming up in the near future, and I, Rick has some complicated process which I don't entirely understand. But in any way, if you do a review in the next couple of months or the next month or so, um, you stand a chance of winning a couple of locker and tickets for the Port Adelaide versus West Coast game at the end of May. End of May. End of May. Yeah. Um, which is give us good. a five star review on iTunes. Yep. yep. Write a little review, and anyone between sort of now and the Thursday before the West Coast game will go into a draw to win those two tickets. Yeah, now I haven't been to Locker Room, but uh, you recommend the experience, Macca? Uh, for people that haven't been before, it's incredible. It, it's mm. really, really good. It's a great insight to see what the players get up to in the change rooms before the game. Their sort of um, their process and, and how each player is a little bit different. Some with their sort of um, headphones in, others sort of uh, doing a bit of stretching. And some uh, uh, Aaron Young likes to sort of juggle. He, he's a bit of a juggler. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's really interesting. It's uh, it's also sort of free food there um, before the game and also at half time, and you get a three-hour drinks package as well. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely well worth it. Um, yeah, sort of that sort of once-in-a-lifetime sort of thing that um, you never really get to see. So, yeah. Yeah, and look, honestly, I reckon that's one of those games that we're a real shot at um, winning, um, regardless of what form we're in the week before, because I think West Coast don't have a great record against us. Um, we are very comfortably going to be recognised or considered to be underdogs against a team that made the grand final last year. 
it's a Saturday night. It should be a really good event. So I reckon if you haven't done a review yet, definitely do it and have a go. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, I reckon we're done for the night. Uh, we're a little bit shorter than usual, um, I guess because I don't like talking about Geelong, so that's probably limited a little <laughs> bit. Um, so thanks for listening in, guys. We've had a, a good number of listeners. I think I got an email from Rick saying it was about 120, 122 live listeners at the start of the podcast, who we may have lost, lost as soon as we started talking about the last time we played Geelong. Um, but, you know, going well. So thanks, everyone, for listening in. And um, Carnport Adelaide. Carnaport. Carnport. Tread rate from 45 metres out against the breeze. Coming back! Coming back! Goal! The power are in front! What an unbelievable comeback!